welcome to Shedding Light Hunting Stories Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the average Joe and their great hunting stories. I'm your host, Travis Williams. You're listening to episode 54. Hey guys, welcome to the show. Hope that you are having a great week. Uh, not a whole lot going on here in Southeast Ohio as far as hunting is concerned for me, but have been a part of an indoor 3D league, and uh, the first week, man, I did really well. I uh, was super proud of my 205 score out of 220. That's pretty good for me. And then last week, I shot a 194, so not as good. And this week, uh, I think I shot a 183. So <laughs> things, uh, the wheels have fallen off. Things have not gone well. I've, I've gotten worse. So I thought, you know what, it's probably the bow. Something happened with one of my sights. So I came back in the next day of the bow shop, shot for an hour, and determined that it is not the bow. It is the shooter. And so uh, I spent some time in there trying to figure out, okay, is it my shot process? Am I rushing things? And it's probably all of the above. So it's a great time of the year, Joe, though, to just mess with that stuff and have fun. And that's what it's all about for me. I'm not in it to win it, really. I, I would love to, but... There are guys far better than me, been at it far longer, so I just try and use it as uh, an opportunity just to grow as, as an archer, and uh, hopefully some of that translates to next year's uh, bow season. But other than that, uh, we've been releasing some videos on YouTube and Facebook under Shedding Light Outdoors, so I encourage you to check that out. Uh, the most recent one's called Ten Yard Doe by Travis Shire. Uh, Trav... Um, he is normally a recurve guy. Uh, that's what he loves to do. But every once in a while, he just can't resist the urge to get out the old Hoyt, uh, get out the compound, and make things a little bit easier on himself. It, it eats him alive to watch a doe uh, walk by at 30 yards, and he can't shoot it. So this uh, particular hunt, he goes out with the compound, and when you know it, a doe steps out at 10 yards. <laughs> and uh, He does a great job with his storytelling, with his editing. He does his own editing now, and I'm just proud of him. So uh, do me a favor, go check that video out. Uh, if you want to leave a comment, we always love that, hearing what your thoughts are, and um, we, we enjoy uh, just reading those things. So, um, And if you hit subscribe, we got some other videos coming out. i got a doe video coming out. We've got some other buck videos, so I uh, don't want to miss those. Uh, Maybe you uh, are a type of person that hates to wait. I'm usually uh, an impatient type person. Um, and it seems like a lot of our lives is kind of waiting for the next big thing. And I don't know what the longest that you've ever wait for something is, but 14 years is a long time. 14 years ago, a guy named Jesse Roush's dad bought a property, and they thought that this property was going to be buck dynamite. Like, absolutely great. And it took 14 years for things to finally come together this year for Jesse Roush. And he tells that great story. He's had a lot of success killing a lot of big bucks in that amount of time, just not on this property. And not only that, but Jesse also talks about his daughter's first deer and continuing an epic streak that he has with his wife on getting a deer. And it's just a great story. He's had a great season. And Jesse is a great guy. He's a local guy that I've met and just uh, learned to just love this guy. He's exciting. And um, so I think you're really going to enjoy this. Also, he is founder, co-founder of a thing called the Ohio Outdoors. Uh, I encourage you to check that out. Even if you're not from Ohio, I think that you would enjoy this forum that he has created. And uh, I'm a part of it and I love it. Some great guys on there that I'm getting to know a little bit as time goes on. So anyway, that is enough waiting on this episode to begin. (laughs) Thank you guys so much for listening. Hope that you enjoy this one with Jesse Roush. All right, I am here in the basement of uh, Jesse's house. I see some deer heads, so I know we got some great conversation. Jesse, how's it going, man? It's 
doing well. Appreciate you having me. Yeah, thanks for having me over the house. Appreciate yes, it. So uh, let's talk a little bit, just an intro. Tell us who you are, what you do, and all that good stuff. So my name is Jesse Rausch. Um, I am the executive director for workforce development at our local community college here. And then when I'm not doing that, I'm also co-owner of a website called The Ohio Outdoors, which we're going to celebrate uh, our 10-year anniversary in August this year. Oh, wow. That's awesome. It's very exciting. Yeah, that's sweet. I just recently hopped on there this past year since I met you. You and I met through uh, an economic development committee that we're a part of that I just kind of offer an idea every like once every three meetings, and you run it. So uh, <laughs> hey, any idea is good. Yeah. So uh, so tell us a little bit about the Ohio Outdoors. If if guys are listening to this, how did you get that started? What was you know what is it? How does it work? Right. So. Um, I'm largely self-taught from a hunting standpoint, and I joined uh, another website called ohiosportsman.com in 2004, and a lot of the learning that took place for me very early on was on that website. Some of the friendships that I made that still last and persist today with The Ohio Outdoors came from you know, that original forum, but over the years, it started to pander to advertisers and just... The way things went changed and we weren't necessarily comfortable with it and so uh, my co-owner Joe Wilson called me one night and we had a conversation and you know we had kind of been prompted to, that if you think you can do it better do it and we had a conversation that said we can do it better and so let's do it and so you know Joe's an IT guru and my background sort of marketing and branding and uh, we put our heads together and Joe made it happen from an infrastructure standpoint and you know the goal all along was to make sure that we weren't pandering to advertisers we wanted the free exchange of information and I, I wanted a place where we could have the quality exchange of quality information amongst quality people and ironically enough in 10 years that's exactly what we got without any level of oversight or moderation you know it's we sort of I don't want to call it a free-for-all, but there are days where it can feel like that. But we don't really have to get in and, and manage it. We just have a, a great group of guys and somebody that knows something about everything. There are guys there that are anti-gun collectors. There's guys there that make their own bows, guys that work on cars. Like if you have a question about anything, whether it's hunting, fishing-related, or just life-related, somebody on there has seen it, done it, and can provide quality information. And it's really just been a, an enriching part of my life and others' lives and very proud of what we've accomplished there. And it's been a rewarding experience. Yeah. How has that has it taken off, kind of grown? I mean, it seems to be, yeah. whenever I'm on there, there's a lot of guys. Right. So. Yeah, it's pretty organic. I mean, we don't put a lot of effort into the promotion of it on the social media. I mean, we have the standard Instagram and Facebook pages, but... You know, we're not overly proactive. It just kind of is there. And, you know, it's a forum, so anybody can show up and log in and post a question. We, generally speaking, have a area for just about any topic that can come up from the goof-off lounge, which is for everything that doesn't have a place, to bow hunting, to restoring guns, to survival. Yeah. I think that's a good thing. I think about, I'm a part of, like, forums um, and online Facebook things. And the thing I've noticed is, each sometimes has its own like feel to it. I've noticed like like a lot of the Facebook ones. There's some of them that I've like just left because it just is everything. Time somebody comments or makes a post about anything, it just the trolls come out of you know the woodwork, and I don't get that feeling with the Ohio one. I, I've uh, the Ohio outdoors. I posted stuff on there about elk hunting. You know, being from Ohio, that's right. and there was some good advice and some people that are going have been going on trips out there and just seem like more of a supportive community rather than a bunch of people that are just looking to 
start trouble. Right. We, you know, we affectionately call it the brotherhood and it really is. Um, you know, there's, there's support groups of all kinds out there and this is sort of a support group for the hunting and fishing oriented guy. And, uh, yeah, we have a lot of seasoned vets on there, but we get rookies that come on and they're posting questions and there's really no better place in my opinion, you know, in, in Ohio to, to get the kind of advice that you get from folks that, uh, are on there on a daily basis. We have probably a hundred members on there in any given day and you know 50 of them are on there routinely as somebody that I would recognize by first name shake their hand I've met them all so it's it's pretty cool it's it's like uh, going down to the local corner store do you mind me asking what is your your handle on there Bow Hunter 1023. Bow Hunter 1023. Okay, I, I always forget. I'm like, I know one of these guys commenting's Jesse, but I'm yeah. not sure which one. So. No, I, I came out of the gate, and my my very first handle in 2004 was that, and I've just persisted with it. It, it fits. Yeah. So. So you are a bow hunter. Um, how did you get into hunting, Jesse? Tell us a little bit about just kind of your start into this thing that's a big passion of yours now. So, like a lot of guys that grew up around here in Washington County, gun season was a big part of, of life, and we, you know, we got the first day of gun season off around here, and so, you know, I was exposed to gun hunting at a very early age, uh, probably six, seven, eight years old, really the first trips that I made a field with my dad and uncles, uh, but bow hunting was, short of my dad's old Jennings that hung on the wall down here, there really wasn't a part of, of existence until I was 17, and I was really starting to think that's something that I wanted to try and so I asked for a bow for Christmas and actually would have been Christmas 20 years ago 1999 I got my first bow uh, it was a bear whitetail two and I went out back and I probably shot eight or nine arrows and decided this is good enough I'm gonna go for a hunt and uh, I went for a hunt about 300 yards from where we're sitting right now and I had a doe come out of a field and walk down in the creek bottom and, and I missed her missed low you know, I didn't understand the whole bend at the waist thing yet. Mm-hmm. And it's the best thing that could have happened to me because I didn't wound her. I didn't maim her. I missed her. And that miss, as soon as the arrow hit the rocks underneath of her, I said, I got to learn how to do this. And that set me on the course that is, you know, pretty much in a lot of ways defined who I am to this day. Yeah. So you get into it a little bit more. Is this something, did your dad encourage this? Or was yeah. he kind of a little like, you know, my dad, we didn't bow hunt until way late you know in hunting so my dad will say that he thought it was going to be a passing fancy okay uh i don't think he expected me to stick with it the same way that i that i did Uh, the following fall i killed my first deer on the ground with a bow you know six seven hundred yards from where we're sitting here so i have a a lot of the experience took place you know where we're at right now and uh, it just progressed Uh, i went to to ohio university i left in 2001 i was down there 2001 2005 and I met a lot of guys that were deer hunters down there, and it, it was just a, a kind of a slow boil while I was in college. There were yeah. a lot of other things that kept me entertained and distracted. Mm-hmm. But uh, when I graduated in 2005, got my first good job, got my first good paycheck, and uh, went out and bought a new bow, um, learned how to make arrows, and it just has progressively built from there. And then obviously being around the forums, we've we've had what we call arrow school, where guys, will, you know, seasoned vets who understand how to build arrows would have a summer event and I learned a lot of the building arrows and working with components and tuning on bows from over the summer from those guys and it's just been a progressive learning curve. Yeah. That's awesome. I think um I guess the best part for me is that not that you you can grow in any form of hunting. So you can grow as a, a gun hunter or whatever, but bow, bow hunting there's so many different avenues to go, I right. think. I mean the arrow thing is something I'm just 
now that I'm in an indoor bow league over on uh, Hendershots, yeah. like I'm just like, why is my arrow even at that distance not right. doing what I want it to do exactly? Yeah. And so I'm all, now I'm starting to think about arrows and all of that, that yeah. crazy stuff. So there's a lot to learn. Right. Yeah. No. I mean, if you follow any of John Dudley's stuff, it, you mm-hmm. can go as far down the rabbit hole as you want to go. Um, to me, it was. I've always wanted to to have sort of a control freak to some degree, so I, I, I wasn't willing to rely on other people to do the things that impacted me in the field. So I was I had this thirst to understand. I wanted to be self-sufficient. And self-sufficiency looks a lot of different ways. You know, my buddy Jamie builds his own bows, his arrows. I know guys that'll take turkey feathers and I mean, all, that's true self-sufficiency yeah. to another degree. Uh, for me, I just didn't want to be relying on going down to the bow shop. And I've had some not so pleasant experience in the bow shops around here. Um, you know, before Hendershots was ever here and there were limited opportunities, uh, they weren't my, were my favorite experiences. And yes. so um, that, that kind of also pushed me to be able to do it myself. Right, right. Uh, let's go into some of those stories. Um, I want to get to, uh, I saw a post that you made about this year. Well, we'll save that for the end here because it, it's a pretty epic year that you had. But I just want to kind of go back to some of those early years. Any of those bow hunts, maybe your first buck or any of those kind of stand out to you is just kind of, you know, that was one that really is it means a lot. Yeah. Um, actually, probably one of my misses is one of my most memorable. Uh, it was the very first deer that I, that, uh, first buck that I missed. Um, I have a really nice oak flat back here. And at that time, there's been a lot of development around here, so things have changed. But at that time, it was a great transition area between bedding areas. And I really didn't know what I was doing just quite yet. This is second, third year of bow hunting. And uh, a giant buck that my dad ended up killing, 170-inch 10-point. Oh, wow. Came out of the bedding area. It was one of those sort of dark, cold, frosty mornings where you could see the steam coming out of his nose. And I just, I was paralyzed for five, ten, seemed like two hours, right? But it was really probably only five minutes. And I missed so bad that I might as well not have even been shooting at that deer. (laughs) And it was such a great learning experience to understand what buck fever was truly about and how I could figure out how to combat that in the stand. And... I learned a bunch just in terms of you know breathing and focusing on a hair and it, it just it really um, I'm glad I didn't hit that deer either right because if I had shot him and it went and went well I don't know that I would have learned much and I've always been somebody who's learned from the mistakes and I made a ton of mistakes very early on uh, you know my I killed my first buck a couple of days after that and he's just a little five point you know so I was humbled greatly in that I had this opportunity to shoot a near booner and then I ended up shooting what a lot of us start with was just a young year and a half old buck but you know it's my first experience with a drag rag and he came in textbook right oh, nose yeah. to the ground on the drag rag came in gave me a 15 yard shot uh, died within sight of the tree and uh, you know I'm glad I went down that way yeah yeah I, I think there's <laughs> I see these guys that go out on their very first hunt and they shoot like something like enormous or they have, and I mean, I'm happy for them, but I'm also kind of sad for them because I'm like, I don't know if they realize that that is going to not be the reality most of the time. No. You know, it's just like this past year, I had that kind of year where it was a lot of work to get to that buck, a lot of mistakes and I'm still learning, you know, as I go, but I wouldn't take any of them back. You know, I wish some of them didn't happen in some ways, you know, I, I don't like injuring animals, but at the same time, the learning that I got from that is, is huge. Yeah, I agree. I have a cousin who, um, she's three or four years older than me, 
got a got a spur one day wanted to go for a hunt my uncle took her out on sunday of gun season and thinking nothing would happen it was warm walk out there's a 140 inch buck laying under a tree in the middle of a hay field they wait him out she shoots him she's never hunted again you know so <laughs> what learning was done there it's not a whole easy. lot right yeah, easy, so yeah, yeah it can uh, i made a lot of mistakes very early on and uh you know the herd was a little different in terms of the numbers and the quality back then particularly here like i said the developments really changed the way things right. were and if i could you know knowing what you know it's that old phrase if i knew what i knew now and i could go back to then my wall would look a lot of different but i have a very nice shoulda coulda woulda wall from those first five or six years yeah. where i was really learning and i didn't quite understand you know why they were moving where they were moving and the rut was still this novel thing that you, i didn't really know how to anticipate or to leverage it to my advantage when it did show up so it was a really steep learning curve because I didn't have anybody to show me the ropes. And so there were a lot of mistakes made early on that I won't forget and have certainly made me a better bow hunter in the long run. Absolutely. Um, you know, let's, let's jump into it a little bit uh, this year as we go. So I know that you've had some success the last few years. So talk a little bit about that kind of leading into this year. What was your goals? Um, what did you, did you have, I don't know, do you use trail cameras, you know, yeah. and, and have kind of hit list or how do you go about what you do? Yeah, so there's been a real evolution there. I was an early adopter from a trail camera standpoint. Uh, my first, actually the buck on the left right there was the first trail cam picture I ever got of him was in October of 2004. I, I was the old 35 millimeter trail cameras. Oh, yeah. uh, it was a Moultrie. And that became its own separate hobby and addiction was the trail camera aspect. Um, for a brief time, I served as the pro staff president for a company called Buckeye Cam, which is down in Athens. Oh, cool. And that really kind of ramped it up again. But um, trail cams are a big part of it. And there were times where I was just like everybody else. I could walk through the hit list and every buck had a name. And then, you know, you can only do that so long. And then then not kill those bucks before you start to question whether <laughs> I should keep giving them names and developing these hit lists. Yeah. So, you know, I would say in the two, th we bought our farm in Waterford in 2005 and that really changed my, um, expectations for what were, what I myself as a hunter should be doing, should be accomplishing. And that's where I kind of went from, you know, brown and down mentality to I'm, I'm looking for mature bucks. I want to develop a history with deer and so trail cameras were consistent at one point i was running as many as 10 cameras on 80 acres uh oh, wow. that looks a lot like work at some point yeah. so i've scaled back over the years i got four cameras out there right now i really run them in stationary uh, they basically go in the same spots on the farm every year at this point that's kind of the last three or four years i've fine-tuned do you do the cell cam thing yet or? i did this year yeah, yeah. that's uh, nice it is it is very nice i bought a spy point micro this year mm -hmm. I've uh, been a big fan of the Browning series of cameras, but I did want to get into the cell camera, largely for security. Um, mm -hmm. We really only have one way in and one way out on our farm in Waterford, and so I was running it there for a little while, and then I actually got it moved to more of a, a scouting function in anticipation for my wife's hunt this year. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, it, it changes the way you look at deer i learn a lot about deer movement just this year in terms of weather patterns and when they'll hunker down how long they will hunker down when they've been consistent showing up in front of a camera and then you have this weather weather pattern they'll go you know seemingly underground for 24 to 36 hours so more than just knowing where they move i learned a lot about how they move based yeah. upon weather patterns so 
Yeah, that's huge. I um, <laughs> I relate to what you're saying. Getting like super excited. Like we, whenever I first got into this, I had a property I was able to hunt nearby, and I had I think I only had like two or three cameras. None of them were great. I had a lot of pictures of like just black, you know, or right. like first sunlight it hits your yeah. camera and all you got is white. And you're like, I think there might be an animal there, but uh. But I got, I mean, I put my camera out that first year in July and put out a salt lick. And I had, I mean, I was like, man, these are some giant bucks I had yep. on camera. First time I was like, so I started naming them and all that. And then the fall came and I was like, these these bucks aren't here anymore. What happened? And so I learned, it took me a long, like several years to figure out, wait a second, these deer, just because you see them in summer doesn't mean that they're going to stay there right. in the fall transition. And that was just me just having to learn that kind of the hard way as you go. So Yeah, I made a pretty critical error in the 2008 season. I had um, had pictures of a deer I called Deuce in 2007 that as a 3-year-old was 145 inches, 12 point. Tried everything I could to kill him then, but moving into 2008 season, he blew up. And that was my first year working for Buckeye Cam. And that was a, not a cell camera, it was the um, same frequency as a cordless phone. Oh, cool. So it's transmitting over that. I had the, the high-rise antenna, and I wasn't going to the camera as much, so I was getting more pictures of him. 183 inches, 18 scorable points, and that's all I wanted to kill. But I had a great farming cutler at the time. I was hunting with a buddy. We were filming. Had a beautiful 140-inch 10-point come right into the base of the tree. Now let that deer walk at five steps on what would have been an over-the-shoulder film and really took too long to decide not to shoot that deer thinking that I was going to kill this big deer. You know, I, I felt like, and I was closing in on him. I really had a good feel, but Mother Nature has other ways to do things. Right. And so I waited too long to make that decision, and I cost my buddy who, an opportunity to kill that deer because if I'd have just known I'm not killing anything but that deer, mm-hmm. he could have killed it and I could have filmed it. And so... The very next day, we go hunting at the farm, sit all day, was certain I was going to see that deer, uh, Deuce, go down to the gas station, and there's a picture of him with a kid holding his rack. Turns out he'd been dead for two weeks, got hit by a car on Halloween, and I'd been hunting a ghost for two weeks. Oh, my goodness. I passed two really nice deer in anticipation of that, and, you know, over the years, I've racked up maybe two dozen 140 plus type deer that I I can't tell you what happened to them. You know, there's a couple of them in there that I know the neighbors killed, but there's a majority of them that they just disappear. And so, uh, heartbreak seems like a, a a big word to use when we're talking about an animal, but when you have your expectations and desires set on something and then it doesn't work out, I think that's the downside of the cameras. Yeah, it is, and I think it messes with you a little bit. There's times that I've gone in, I had like the little reader. Like, I want to hunt the stand. The yeah. weather's great. I check the trail camera, and there's not a picture of a deer on there. Right. And it's like, it messes with you. Yep. You're sitting there in the stand thinking, I need to go switch spots. And, and I think sometimes the deer actually, I've seen pictures of bucks where they're looking right at the camera, and then that's about the only picture you have. So I think the bucks actually sometimes, it might sound crazy, but I think they might just avoid the path of the camera. They'll right. they'll take a different, they'll still be in that general spot but the camera will mess with you a little bit there is a little bit of that that you have to work through yeah i wonder at at how many times have i hurt myself trying to help myself right yeah and i'm sure it's happened more times than i care to know yeah well you've had a string of some good years so let's get into that a little bit coming into this year um what was the you set goals uh, you seem to be a very goal-oriented person are you setting goals or is it just kind of like i'm just going to go whenever i get a chance to go or yeah, how do you do it that's kind of evolved a little bit too you know fatherhood changes that a little bit mm-hmm. um you know 
early on before I became a father, it was specific deer goals. Um, that's evolved a little bit to mature deer goals. I, I don't want to go back to that 2008 season where it was really just focused on one deer. If that deer's mature, I'm good at this point. Um, so really, that the, those goals have evolved to you know being safe, having fun, uh, because there were a couple years there where I wasn't having fun. It's too much pressure, um, self-induced, right? And self-inflicted pressure. Is, is part of that from running a, like a, an outdoor, outdoor forum? Does that mess uh, with it at all or just kind of self-goals? No, because those guys aren't expecting me to – they might, but they don't put the pressure on me. Okay. It's more of – you know, I was a three-sport athlete, and when I finished high school and athletics were by and large done, the competition became the deer. And so that's where the pressure comes <laughs> in, right? It's, okay. It's, it's – you're competing. Winning. Your, yeah, yeah, it's winning. It's, it's – um, I'm very motivated by winning, and so it's you know that's easy to define with a mature buck, right? And I've had this goal all along to kill an Ohio big buck, and you know there's one at the taxidermist. There's five sitting there. None of them cracked the 140 inch mark, but there's three five year olds and three six year olds. So those are wins, but I had this arbitrary you know inches mark in my mind all these years that I was competing against, and the longer that that it went and I was failing to achieve that number, the more pressure I put on myself. And mm-hmm. so there was a stretch there. And, you know, I would say 2015, 16, where I was miserable to some degree. I was hunting only because it's what I know to do and I wasn't having the kind of fun. So really the last few years it's changed. Um, I knew going into this season that my daughter was right on the edge of being able to hunt. That was, I've been looking forward to hunting with my children for a long time, even before I had kids, because I knew that that was going to be a fun aspect. And then, you know, my wife started hunting with me before we were even engaged, and uh, she killed a deer the first very first year we were together. And so there's then this thing we call the streak that's just progressively grown. And so that remains a, a, a goal. But uh, yeah, it's I've dialed it back a little bit and trying to say that it's going to be, you know, this buck or these inches, and it's really just get in the field and be safe and have fun. Yeah, I think that's smart. Like, I think the inches thing really messes with a lot of guys, and I'm, yeah. I'm at that stage where I'm just kind of trying to climb the ladder. But at a certain point, I don't know, and it is kind of based off of inches. Hopefully, you know, um, I, you know, I try and balance that with the mature deer thing too. But it's you can let you can let this become so much of an obsession that it's not fun anymore. And right. if that happens, you know, yeah, it's not good. Well, I think even the inches thing is going to get more difficult. You know, I have a running group text message with several guys from the forum that started during the rut probably eight or nine years ago. And interestingly enough, recently we were just talking about sort of that threshold average buck size we believe is decreasing. Mm-hmm. I don't see the really big, big bucks that I used to see a decade plus ago. Yeah. Um, there's several factors that run into that, but there are several guys that agree that you know, finding a 160 10 years ago wasn't a big deal. Finding a 160 today is a totally different story. And so if that's going to be your mark, well, then you have to, it's tough no matter what, no matter what the conditions of the herd are, no matter how good your property is. Um, if you're going to put some of those, those metrics to it, um, you got to be, you have to anticipate failure. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. So let's, let's get into it. What led up to you getting, uh, the buck this year and some of the other stories that kind of go along with that yeah so i was certain that when we bought the farm in 2005 that i could become the 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 jury brother of southeast ohio you know i thought (laughs) here's this 80 acres and and i love the habitat management component of it 
uh, food plots, timber stand improvement, everything that goes with managing a piece of property. And, you know, I was just certain that the more sweat equity that I put into that farm, the more big bucks I would put on the wall. And as the time, you know, as time ticked by, sweat equity wasn't resulting in, in, in deer. And so, you know, there was always this underlying goal of kill my first buck off the farm. And it just time kept progressively passing and passing. And I rolled into this season with 14 of them under my belt and I still hadn't killed a buck on what's a really nice piece of property. Um, You're going to other places and having yeah, success. Yeah, I was having success here. I mean, this is my honey hole where we're sitting. I can guarantee, you know, I pretty much knew that I could go back here and, and have encounters more frequently mm-hmm. on 11 acres. It's the right 11 acres, right? Whereas the 80 acres we have, I, there's a lot of pressure around and don't have the same sort of pinch points and funnels. And so it was, it's, it's, and it's more ground, so there's more to learn there. Um, so yeah, I was having more success other way. And actually we, we lived on two acres before we moved here. Um, both those European mounts came off of that mm-hmm. place. Same thing, transition area. Great thicket and bedding area across the road from me. My neighbors had 21 acres that lied in basically the the outer edge of a thousand acre block of timber mm. and I, my my little two acres was like one acre of yard and one acre of travel corridor yeah and, you know i mean that narrows it down so i had some good success there but yeah rolling into this season the the goal was pretty much the same have fun be safe and let's try to get this monkey off our back which is killing a buck off the farm and it started out eerily similar to just about every other season i had um I had a stockpile of trail camera pictures of deer that I knew from the 2018 season. Uh, buck I called the White Eight, you know, real original name, but <laughs> you, you see him, there's not really, any, you know, what else yeah. you're gonna call him, right? Yeah. So, um, and I've used up the dozer terminology and about anything else you could think of. So yeah. the White Eight just will fit, right? So <laughs> it's like you kind of get lazy sometimes. Yeah. Like, okay, what, what? You know, and all the names have been taken. I, so. I'm pretty much out of curiosity now. Yeah. Um, and really, the good names I've given. Those bucks have been killed by the guys that lease the farm to the north of us. They're all in North Carolina now. So mm-hmm. I'm, I, it almost feels like if I give it a good name, it's almost certain that something's going to happen. So you give it like, yeah, so white eight's good. White eight's good. good. It's pretty generic. So <laughs> we knew last year that he was four. Um, and actually, we have pictures of him from 17, 18. New coming into this year that he was uh, five years old, was clearly a mature buck, clearly a target. Wasn't, you know, he's not going to break that 140 mark for me, but he was mature. And I had a lot of good pictures of him, and I felt pretty comfortable that he was using uh, one of our, my primary sanctuaries. And uh, you know, as the season rolled on, I kept narrowing in on him and kept getting the pictures of him. And I, I felt like um, it would happen this year, but I felt like that before, so I really didn't have many of my expectations up. And then, you know, fortunately, on November first, it worked out. Yeah. And uh, finally, got that monkey off my back. How'd that go down? Uh about as easy as it could go down <laughs> after 14 years of failure so um i knew that the way the weather conditions were working out that it was i needed to be in the woods but uh, my wife's a nurse and she was on call so i had to pull some strings and i really probably owe my sister-in-law this buck because she came in and stayed with the girls so that i could go hunt um I had the perfect wind for a stand that i call the corner pocket I need a, a good south wind to push out over the you know the topography. It drops off the ridge and, and goes down into the ravine on the back side of the stand. I got a food plot out in front of me, but the sanctuary t- ties into that. And based upon the pictures, I really felt like he would move from the south and come towards me. Um, 
I was shocked when I saw him come off my neighbors from the Northeast. They're over there messing around a good bit and um, really kind of hamper some of my hunting because they're always in the woods messing around. So I, I had just texted my wife about what she wanted to do about food. I only had 20 minutes left in the day. I'd been kind of uneventful, watched some turkeys. I'd been watching a mature doe and a couple of fawns run around. And I text her and ask her what she, you know, she wanted me to bring home pizza. And yeah, and I put my phone back down and I looked to my to my left and I it was one of those things where you know it's a buck but you don't know what kind of buck who mm-hmm. it is whatever you just he was so much bigger than the other two there was a two yearling fawns that had been messing around in the cut beans and so elevation wise they're eye level with me but a hundred yards out mm. so he's got to come off the off the hillside and come down towards me a little bit and uh, so I th- grab my binos and I pull him up and they no sooner did they hit my eyeballs that I put him back down because I, I knew it was him he's walking straight towards me <laughs> I see this you know 22 inch wide rack coming through you know I knew it was him and so he turned and started towards those doe fawns and was actually you know sort of walking away from me and I, I grunted a couple of times he looked towards me went back and checked the doe fawn fortunately she wasn't in so then he turned and started walking towards the food plot and I had mashed down all of the weeds between the cut we, um, cut soybeans and my food plot. We allow that to grow up. It looks like, it reminds you of CRP, mm-hmm. but I had taken the, the four-wheeler and mashed down one trail between the beans and the, and the food plot, hoping that I could, you know, encourage deer travel to come through the, you know, the path of least resistance. And uh, he started right towards that, was coming down through it. But about halfway through that, my dad had brush hogged a trail that w- was perpendicular to that. So he stopped right there and turned to walk away from me to go check the sanctuary out. And I grunted just as absolutely as light as I could, kind of back over my shoulder behind me. And, you know, I relay it all this thing. You know, sometimes they'll turn mm-hmm. and they almost fold themselves in half to turn around. And that's exactly what he did. I mean, he brought his, his rack and his nose all the way around to his rear end to look towards me and then decided to go ahead and drop right into the food plot. And he came just on a on a straight angle, all the way across, grunting on every step, and uh, down the last couple minutes of shooting light, and I really didn't have because he was coming in almost angling, you know, quartering to me. I didn't have the best shot opportunity, and I hoped that it, he would turn, and hit a scrape, and give me a thirty yard broadside shot. And he just walked straight past the scrape and kept coming straight to me. And uh, when he got to twelve steps. Even though he was quartering too, he's essentially right below me, and mm. I had full faith of being. I shoot a, almost a 500 grain arrow, and oh, I had man. no fear of being able to put it through right there. So he came through and stopped, gave me a 12 yard shot, and uh, I was able to put it right down through him. And he crashed over the hill. And I, at that point, I'm I'm thinking, okay, uh, maybe, but I don't want to get my hopes up because I've been <laughs> let down before, and. Yep. Uh, so I backed out, you know, um, made a couple phone calls and did the hardest thing, which is to wait three hours. And uh, one of my good friends and my cousin came out, and we were able to walk, basically walk straight over the hill. He didn't make it 100 yards and folded up in the creek below the, the corner pocket, which has been my primary habitat management spot for 14 years. You know, yeah. I, when I started, when I put that food plot in in 2007, I think it was the first year I put that in, that this is the spot this is going to be the spot where we consistently kill mature deer and i've had a lot of great pictures there it just it never came together and that night it was like i'd been planning for all those years it went down absolutely i had perfect. to feel good it was 
it was great, you know. Yeah, he surprised me. He came from an area I wasn't expecting, but he came through doing what I thought he would do, and that was getting downwind of that betting area. And, uh, man, it felt so good to have the, this, all those years of frustration and failure, and I've been so close so many times to, to get it done and get it done on the deer where I did have some history. I did have some pictures. Um, I had gotten to the point where I was going to shoot anything with a rack this year, just to just to be done, just to get get something killed, and so it turned out, it, you know, really nice. He scored out 129 inches, 22 inches wide, five years old. You know, it's a good deer. Yeah. Oh yeah. I was pumped to see your picture. That was cool. Yeah. Um, so have you had on that property? Have you had other? Have you been drawn back on a buck before, or have you yeah. had you've had some encounters, but just never been able to get it? Yeah. So my very first hunt on the farm, I drew back on a Pope and Young eight point, which only, which only made the whole um, expectation thing worse because my very first hunt there, I picked a tree out and like this is it's a no brainer. You know anybody that's not hunting much, you take them there and you see the spot, they'd say, of course I'd put a tree there on the inside corner of a field, um, adjacent to bedding. It was had all the things, and um, deer actually kind of the same thing. Thought they'd come from one direction, surprised me, came from another direction, got drawn on him, just couldn't get a shot. Uh, I've been drawn on some other deer. Actually, there's a deer head sitting over here my dad killed that I missed with a muzzleloader the second season we were there. And then I've passed some deer I probably should have shot. Yeah. Um, yeah, There's I can think of two instances where I let deer go that, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. Right. I had them. I probably should have shot them. I thought they'd get bigger the next year. In one case, one did and got killed by the neighbor and the other instance he got killed the next day or whatever it was two two three days later by another neighbor so yeah i just not had the the, the encounters and the opportunities to the degree that i thought i would uh, whereas you know back here behind the house it it works out it's i don't want to <laughs> say that it's a guarantee but you know i pretty much encounter good bucks back there on a regular occasion whereas this farm is in waterford has the big farm has given me fits over the years it's not been as good as you would think it would be hmm. so the 14 year saga comes to an end uh, now so that monkey's off your back but that's not all that makes this a good year there's yeah, some no. other things that go down with your daughter and yeah. your wife so yeah. let's let's talk about those yeah so really the uh, i'm still grinning ear to ear makes the hair stand up with my daughter is She's six at the time. She just turned seven. Uh, she's been around this her whole life. In fact, both of my girls were actually, my wife was pregnant with both girls when she killed a couple of her deer on the street. So, mm. uh, you know, Cadence is, she's been around it. She was actually in my wife's stomach. When, you know, <laughs> when, when she she's literally her, around Literally, her. yeah. So she's literally been a part of it. Um, we, I got a crossbow back in the spring thinking about turkeys. And we shot at some. Uh, the deer hunting... She wasn't, it wasn't where she, not that she didn't want to do it, but I wanted her to be excited about doing I didn't want to push her. And so I just kind of let it be. And she really didn't say a whole lot about it. And then when I came home with the buck the, that night, uh, Daddy, when can I shoot a buck? was the first question out of her mouth. I said, honey, you can do it whenever you want to do it. She goes, well, I want to start practicing more so I can do it. I said, great. So um, bought a pack of broadheads. Um, started shooting all week we shot every night that week and she is she's a very smart girl she listens very well she follows direction very well so you know technology being what it is you take this crossbow you put a very nice vortex red dot on top of it mm -hmm. you sit it on the caldwell field pod they don't have to do a whole lot in fact we called it driving mm -hmm. um 
I'm very process oriented, so we we basically built a six step process with uh, verbal commands, and we practiced that all week. And she was just stacking shafts in there, and so I really felt like she's fully capable. The weapon's fully capable. It's what happens at the moment of truth, mm-hmm. which can change even with me. You know, I'm 20 plus years into bow hunting. I, I can choke in the moment of truth, so you can't control that. Um, we spent a lot of time going through uh, magazines, you know, draw a dot where you're supposed to hit them, and she knew exactly what she was supposed to do. We got a 3D, mm. uh, I got a Glendell 3D target, and, uh, you know, I, I would take the, the crossbow and point it, you know, way off on the other direction where she would have to drive it around and get the dot where she needed to do, and she did well with that. So I killed my buck on Friday, the November 1st, and Friday, November 8th, I took her out here behind the house, and... Uh, I'd put some corn out in the oak flat so we could get something to stand still. Mm-hmm. And uh, we sat for an hour, and we had a mature doe come straight in. Actually, she saw it before I did. Um, I was on the kind of the other window, and the, the way she came in, she was behind the, the gap in the window where I couldn't see it. And she kind of reached over and, Daddy, there's a deer. And uh, sure enough, there she was. And I said, okay, when she turns broadside, you're in charge here now. So two, three minutes of milling around, that deer finally turned completely broadside, absolutely perfect. And so we start going through our process. I said, you find her, got her. Put the red, you know, just behind the front leg, part way up, yep, I'm good. Okay, so I'm gonna take the safety off, you're in charge, okay. And really she surprised me because the shot went off pretty quick. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I knew, you knew, you know the sound. Yeah. She drilled her and I, I was just, I was so thrilled. And I, t- I, I got out of the blind immediately. Forget with So I went, I went right down there immediately to the impact because I wanted to make sure that, you know, she did, did hit it the way that it sounded like she hit it. The blood was immediate. She's using rages on the end of that. Uh, blood was immediate. I'm like, great, this, this deer's definitely done. So um, we went, I went back and got her. Uh, we went back up to the house, spent 20 minutes getting Kenna, who's the youngest, and my wife ready, and we went down there, and deer didn't make it 60 yards, and she absolutely made a perfect shot. She put it right through the heart. Um, I, it doesn't matter what I accomplish for the rest of my hunting career. That's going to be one of the best memories that I'll ever have. Yeah. Um, just to, to finally get to the point where I can hunt with my kids and then to watch her execute in a moment of truth. Yeah. And I hope that that's something that serves her well, whether she's deer hunting or, you know, she plays violin, she's got to get on stage or she's in school, whatever. Just understanding that if you're prepared and you go through the process, that good things will happen. Mm, that's solid. And I, I think I like what some of the things that you did just to train her so that she was at that point. I think a lot of people they don't put that amount of effort into it. They just kind of hope that they get lucky yeah. and maybe the, they shoot, you know, five, ten times, like your first time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. Like, the total ah, I shot eight times. I'm good. <laughs> yeah. You know, so yeah. yeah. And you know, we didn't shoot a bunch. We, we might've only shot 50 yeah. bolts, which, you know, that's arguable whether that's enough. But again, it's up to me as the, as the hunter and the adult and the father to assess whether those 50 were good 50 or bad 50. Yeah. And I'll be honest with you, there were 47 good ones and a couple that we needed to work on. But by and large, I, I've seen worse things afield than what I was seeing with her in her practice. So, you know, but there's this still, there's this fear, right? You don't want to, if she got shot at, then it's like, well, was I too, you know, did we not do things properly? Did we not practice enough? Did she really not comprehend you know, I, that was my biggest fear was yeah. that she would maim it. I, you know, I was hoping that she'd do what I did and just straight up miss if she didn't make a kill shot. 
but she executed to perfection, and I couldn't have been happier about that. Oh, that's cool. Well, you, you've mentioned this a couple times, alluded to it, the streak. I have to know uh, what exactly <laughs> yeah. is the streak. Yeah. We'll, we'll wrap up with uh, the streak yeah. and that involves your wife. Yeah, that's, so that's an unintended consequence, I guess, of, of making it maybe too easy for my wife. Um, <laughs> when uh, So we started dating in 2003, and uh, she grew up around hunting, but no, or like her father doesn't hunt. There was Her grandpa would hunt occasionally, some uncles would hunt occasionally, largely just gun season stuff. And um, I asked her if she wanted to go. She said, yeah, I would love to go. So actually just down here, about a half a mile, there was a berry field when I was growing up around here. Now I've got a couple of really nice houses in it. But um, I had permission to hunt that farm at the time. And I had been spending a fair amount of time there. And you could pretty much count. That's back when the herd was crazy. So you could count on, for sure, we're going to see deer. And uh, the day before, I, I picked about a bushel of of ear corn from her grandpa's corn bin and dumped it down so again so we have a place for them to stand still long enough to get a shot and uh deer came out she killed her first deer 2003 and then progressively every year we would basically hunt enough for her to kill one deer and over time this streak develops because she was killing one deer per, per season that she hunted and uh the only year that we have an asterisk in there and that is the year she was pregnant with Kenner, our youngest she was just too pregnant to hunt. Yeah. Um, it was a little difficult, but every season that she's hunted, she's killed a deer. Some seasons we worked way harder than others. Some seasons were a lot more fun. She's killed. Uh, she killed her first buck with a crossbow. Um, she's killed a deer with a vertical bow. And in fact, one of the coolest hunts I've ever had here behind the house was with uh, might have been her fourth or fifth year when she killed her first deer with a with a compound. Uh, we had we were just covered up in deer, and it was a fantastic hunt. She made an excellent shot. So, I mean, she's she's more than just a trigger person. She's yeah. been able to hold herself together and make some good shots and, and do it with more than just a gun. Most of them are with a muzzleloader. I have a CVA Optimus. She's probably killed 12 of her 16 deer with, 17 deer with. So um, every year now that it's built, it's – like oh no we got this streak this becomes like a mandatory <laughs> part of what we're doing we have to keep this thing going uh but time to hunt is tougher to come by now right. so um we really the last two years her first day out we made it happen and uh same thing this year uh, very first time out uh, back at the corner pocket she killed her doe within feet of where i killed my buck mm-hmm. and uh it's a good spot um Put a ground blind up, kind of up where the so on the property where you yeah been, where I killed yeah. my buck on the farm. So yeah, she's killed um, most of them have come off the farm. So, okay, yeah, it's it's good. She's she's killed more deer on the farm than I have. Yeah, over the years because the streak's been good to her. So uh, yeah, it becomes this. It's this thing now that I got to keep. I got to keep going. Uh, she was ready to kind of turn it over to Cadence and let Cadence take on the streak. Uh, you know, we were at fifteen. That was a nice round number. And I said, you know, let's get it to twenty. So we got number 16 year this year, and uh, my goal is to get it to 20. She hunts 20 season and kills 20 deer. I mean, That's incredible. It's a, it's a, it's a fun thing. Um, she killed her first mature buck a couple years ago. It's at the taxidermist with mine now. So, you know, we've had a lot of fun over the years with the with – the, and, in fact, Cadence was asleep in the blind when she killed her big buck. Oh, wow. Yeah, so she was – 
which is sitting right where Cadence killed her first deer. So there's a lot of synergy there to all of that. Yeah. Um, I guess if you're only really hunting two properties, that 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 makes it easy to come by. That's cool. I mean, I, I see you. I know this is a big part of your life. What's cool is I see you in like a lot of other places. You're busy doing stuff with your job and with the, the Economic Development Committee and all that. But what's neat is it seems like your off time, you really are able to use that with family and with hunting. You know, that's the passion. Yeah, it's a, it's, I prioritize it, right? It's, um, it is who I am. Uh, when I proposed to my wife sitting on a four-wheeler right where she killed her first deer, uh, that was intentional. And I, I prefaced the proposal with hunting is a huge part of my life and it always will be. If that's a problem, this isn't going to work. I love my wife. She's been awesome. She gets it. She's always got it. It's never been a problem. That was before I picked up waterfowling, and we went down that path. <laughs> Save that for another day. That, yeah, that, that's been a huge part of my life the last six, seven years is waterfowl. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm going a lot. I hunt a lot, but I include them, and, and I, I prioritize it. And, you know, even in my, you know, I, I work in higher ed space. I don't hide from who I am as a hunter. It, you know, people recognize that as me when when they did the who are you when i got hired in i said i procure my own meat people were like what's that mean <laughs> well it means i spent a ton of time afield making sure that you know that freezer upstairs in my garage is packed packed full of anything you can think of that runs the woods and water around here is probably in that freezer up there and and that ultimately you know the racks are great experiences are great but having a great family meal is um that's a huge part of it we, yeah. we i took extra special care of cadence's deer we aged it uh, did some cool things yeah, with it in terms of cuts. That. That's cool. Uh, you know, she, I gave her some decision-making power in what we did with it. She wanted to leave one of the, the rear hams whole for a big family cookout. And to me, that's that's paramount to everything else we do. Mm. The memory of her killing that deer is awesome. She's going to remember it. But the night that we get to have that family meal and get to invite people over, and, you know, she was responsible for, for making that harvest. And to me, that's what I, the food part of it is. It, it That's the... The, the key for me in a lot, in a lot of ways. Mm, that's awesome, man. Well, buddy, I really appreciate you letting me come over yeah. and, and hear that and hear those stories. I, I read that, and I want I definitely want to have you on. I want to have you on again because I know you got a lot of other stories up your sleeve, but I thought we would uh, get this season. So congratulations on Thank you. Uh, a really awesome season. Appreciate it. I appreciate you having me on here. Man, I hope that you enjoyed that as much as what I did. That was an incredible, epic season that this man's had with 14 years waiting and then it coming together. And not only that, being able to be there for his daughter's first doe and continuing that streak with his wife. That's just incredible to me how that has uh, worked out for him. And just want to say congrats again to Jesse. Super great guy. Also want to encourage you guys, check out the Ohio Outdoors Forum. Uh, go on there, sign up. It's easy to do and start contributing because, or just even like me. Sometimes I don't even contribute a lot. I just sit back and learn from these guys and, and enjoy the conversation. That's the beauty of a forum. You know, one thing I will say uh, that I thought about as we talk about this, uh, a lot of times, like I, I hear these things kind of come up. And to me, the, the theme of this episode is all about waiting um, and having patience. We live in such an instant gratification world. Um, even since I've been alive, just the invention of, you know, the smartphone and just how much that's just changed our our patience. <laughs> you know, if I have a question about something, I can ask my phone and two seconds later, I have an answer. And if I don't, like if my phone lags for two seconds 
Like, I get mad about it. <laughs> Does anybody here remember the days of dial-up? Like, you had to wait five minutes just to get on. Man, it was, we've become so spoiled as far as waiting is concerned. If we're in traffic, we hate it. We feel like the, why can't the city figure out how to make this traffic run faster? Uh, maybe it's waiting for a job or waiting for things. We just struggle with being patient. Um, I am as guilty as anybody. And whenever I think about the Bible, there are so many verses that talk about having patience, but it's interesting what it says. Psalm 27, 14 says, Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. And there's several other verses that talk about this idea of if we're going to have patience, we need to have patience and wait on God. Like, And that's kind of a weird thing to think about. What does that even mean or look like? I guess in my life, the way that that's kind of worked out is there have been times where I've wanted something to happen. I remember in college, like a lot of people around me were dating and getting engaged. And uh, I went to a Christian college. If you know anything about Christian colleges, I mean, coming out of there without being engaged is kind of a remarkable thing. <laughs> it seems like everybody's dating. And and I thought in my head, man, I want this to happen. Like I, I, I just guess I wanted it too bad. And finally, after a while, I just said, you know what, maybe I just need to wait for whatever God has. Quit forcing it, quit trying so hard, and just sit back. And wouldn't you know it, about two months later, I bumped into Kate, uh, and I'd, I'd known her for a long time, but for some reason I enjoyed the conversation way more that night than I'd ever had before. And that was the start of our relationship. And here we are, it's like 12 years, 13 years since that. And um, so there's an example. Um, I, I think maybe we, we try and force things to happen, maybe... Um, I don't know, you want revenge on a certain person, and the Bible says, wait on God, he takes care of those things. So I don't know what that looks like for you, but I do know this. If you want patience, usually it means it's going to be tested. Um, We want that instant gratification. You want to shoot that buck on the very first day, but you go through all the trials and all, all the trouble and 14 years maybe, And whenever it finally comes together, man, you appreciate it. You know what it is to have struggled, and now you know what it is to have achieved. And I think that's what the Bible's talking about whenever it says wait. You wait. God makes us wait sometimes for what we want so that later on we really truly appreciate what we have because he's given it to us. So that's that's my two cents on the matter. So something for you to think about, maybe to uh, wait a little bit better. So guys, thank you so much for coming back for another episode, listening to me ramble here at the end and beginning of episode. And uh, I just really hope that you enjoy those great guests that we have on, like Jesse. Uh, if you do, leave a five-star review. If you want to leave a comment below like you can, uh, man, that's great. Love to read those and, and hear what you think. Hope that you will come back for another episode next week. And until then, remember to shut the light.